Today, um, we are going to be looking at um, 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 1 through 13. It says, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge, This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, he is known by God. Therefore, as to the eating of food offered to idol, we know that an idol has no real existence, and that there is no God but one. For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom whom are all things and for whom we exist. And one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, Not all possess this knowledge, but some through former association with idols eat food as really offered to an idol, and their conscience being weak is defiled. Food will not commend us to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat, and no better off if we do. But take care that this right of your this right of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if anyone sees you who have knowledge eating in, in, in an idol temples, will he not be encouraged? If his conscience is weak to eat food offered to idols. And so by your knowledge this weak person is destroyed the brother for whom Christ died. The sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it, when it is weak. You sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat. Lest I make my brother stumble. This is God's word. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father in heaven, we pray that you open up our hearts, minds, and soul to be attentive to your word. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. Our Lord, our rock, and our redeemer. Amen. As you know, or as you may not know, I was born... And raised in Korea. Surprise, right? But this part of Korea, not this part, um, south part of Korea. It's a great country. It's a beautiful country. I love my country. I love my country. 
But if you ask me to tell you one thing that I really dislike from the Korean tradition, if you ask me to tell you only one thing that I really dislike from the Korean tradition is ancestor worship. I don't know if you have ever heard about ancestor worship, but I don't really like this tradition. Ancestor worship is a kind of a religious practice based on the belief that the dead have a continuing existence. That the spirit of disease will look after the family. Something like this. If my dad died tonight, he will continue, he will continue to, um, to exist and look um, after his family. His spirit will take care of his family, which doesn't make any sense to me. So every lunar year or Chinese New Year's or Korean Thanksgiving Day, the whole family gather together and worships their ancestor. The first thing to do is to prepare various food dishes because Korean believe that the spirit of their ancestor will come and eat the food that their children have prepared for them, which doesn't make any sense to me. Therefore, no one can eat until after this worship is completely. No one can eat it, can touch it. And the act of worship consists of men coming to the table with the food and bowing to the name or the picture of their ancestor to thank them ahead of time for looking over their family. And after this worship, the whole family can share the food that they have prepared for their ancestor. The reason why I do not like this ancestry worship is because I cannot eat the food. Korean Christians often associate the food that comes from ancestry worship as food that had been served to idols. I still remember this. When I was a young boy, I think I was about five or six years, six years old. My dad is the youngest um, son. So he had, a, he had a four brothers, so, which means he had no choice, no choice to skip this ancestor worship. My uncles are not Christian. They are not Christian. So we went to my uncle's house, I think on the, on the, on the um, New Year's Day. And we didn't do anything. We didn't bow down before the name or the image of the, our ancestor. We didn't do anything. We just saw it. We didn't participate in this worship. And after the worship, one of my uncle came to me with the food. And he asked me to eat it. And my mom was looking at me like, uh-uh, don't, don't. If you eat it, if you smell it, if you touch it, I'm going to kill you. 
And my uncle was like, come on, man, you, you, be a man, right? Like, make your own choice, like, make your own decision, man, right? You know, you know how to survive without your mama. Don't be a mama boy. Make your own decision. And I was like, I'm only five or six years old. I, like, how can I survive without my mama, right? But my mom was still looking at me like, if you eat it, if you smell it, if you touch it, I'm going to kill you. Let's go home now. But he kept asking me to eat it. I was so confused. What should I do? Should I eat it or not? There was an issue that related to whether or not it is allowed to eat meat that was sacrificed and offered to idols. You may wonder how this question has any relevance for us today, but it is actually relevant as it speaks to the issue of Christian freedom. We face this issue all the time as we consider and debate things such as, is it okay for Christians to watch TV shows or movies with causing violence, nudity, and or crude joking? Is it okay for Christians to play violent video games? If you're a teenager who really likes to play video games, you probably know what I'm talking about. GTA. Is it okay for Christians to play the games? Is it okay for Christians to play the gamble? I'm from Las Vegas. From Las Vegas. But I'm not a gambler, sir. No, I'm not. Everywhere you go, you have no problem to find the gamble machine. One of my friends told me that he went to Las Vegas, but he had a hard time to find the gamble machine. And I call him a liar. Everywhere you go, there is gamble machine. So let me ask you this question. As a future CRC, Christian Reformed Church pastor, ordained minister, future ordained minister, is it okay for me to play the gamble? How about this question? Is it okay for me as a future Christian Reformed Church ordained pastor, minister, to drink alcohol and smoke? If yes, why? If no, why not? Now, going back to the scriptures, the Corinthian church asked about food that had been sacrificed to idols. In order to understand the confusion that the Corinthian church faced, we need to understand that there were two sources of meat in the ancient world. First, the regular market. Just think about giant, Acme, Costco, Wegman, or Meyer. I, I don't know Meyer, but I haven't seen Meyer here in Philadelphia. But Meyer was my home when I was in Michigan because I, I went there every day. So just a regular market, like so on, right? right? And second, the local temple, the local pagan temple. In these pagan temples, they did like the Israelites did in the Old Testament day. They offered and killed the living animals 
as a sacrifice. And like the Israelites, they reserved some of the meat for the benefit of the priest and for public sale. It was the meat of very highest quality, and it was usually cheap. So people can't enjoy really good mood, good meat by paying less. And the question for this Christian was, should we buy it? <laughs> so they were writing to Paul to settle the matter. What do you think, Paul? Should we buy it and eat it or not? Now, there were two groups that had opposing argument who were arguing about food that had been sacrificed to idols. First, there was a group within the church that said, it is wrong. It is wrong to buy and eat meat that has been sacrificed and offered to the pagan idols. If any of you gets, if any of you buy and eat that meat, he or she just participated in the worship of idol by getting and eating that meat. <clears throat> Excuse me. On the other hand, there was another group that say, no, what are you talking about? It is, that is not true. There is nothing wrong with buying and eating that meat. And, also, and they also can save money by purchasing the cheaper meat, but good meat from the local temples. And this created the potential for division in the church. So they asked Paul for counsel. And as he began to address this issue, he did not say something like, you're right, you're wrong, next question. But he says this, Now concerning food offered to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. This knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. As he instructed them, Paul called, to their attention to two important factors. Knowledge pops up. Knowledge. Love builds up. Love. Knowledge. Some Christian in the Corinthian church had knowledge that an idol was nothing more than defection of a false god who exist only in the minds of those who worship it. So for them, the conclusion was this, verse 3. An idol is nothing at all in this world. And, and that there is no other God but one. Our God, the creator of this universe. This was their knowledge. And Paul said, Great, you have this knowledge. But understand this about knowledge. It tends to inflate your pride. In other words, the more we know, the more we tend to look down on those who do not know. 
we tend to look at those people like something like this. Oh, you poor people, right? You poor people. You do not know the things I know. Knowledge in the kingdom of God is more than just head knowledge. It involves knowledge from the heart. In other words, it is possible to be right about something and yet be wrong in the kingdom of God. You can know something is absolutely true and have the power that goes along with the knowledge to know things and be wrong about the way you convey that knowledge and about the way you respond to others who do not have the knowledge. In our modern society, in our empire, knowledge is cool. Knowledge is power. Knowledge is your money. Because you have knowledge, you can get a job. Because you have knowledge, you can get a degree. But it can be a weapon to fight with. In the kingdom of God, love trumps all. And this is what Paul says about knowledge and love. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1 and 3. It says, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am noise gong or clanging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mystery and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as, so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give, if I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. So knowledge without love is nothing. In the kingdom of God, knowledge without love is nothing. It's trash. Therefore, Paul's desire for the people who actually had knowledge was to help the ones who did not know the things that they knew. For, for Apostle Paul, the real issue was not food that, that, that has been sacrificed to idol, or whether, whether um, they can eat it or not. For him, for Paul, the real issue was the way to exercise of Christian freedom. Because of your exercise of Christian freedom, or our exercise of Christian freedom, it can be a stumbling block to the others. That was the real issue for Paul. Verse 9, he says, Be careful, however, that the exercise of your freedom does not become a stumbling block to the weak. Then the question is, why should we be so careful about those who do not, who do not know what we know? Verse 11 and 12. And so by your knowledge, this weak person is destroyed. 
the brother for whom Christ died. Thus sinning against your brother and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Because Christ died for them, therefore don't wound their weak conscience by the simple exercise of your freedom. Because when you do, you're sinning against your brothers. That means you're sinning against the Lord. And then in the final verse of this chapter, Paul comes out very clearly and defines his summary statement. Verse 13 says, Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. All right, if food makes my brother stumble, fine. I will never eat meat. I'm going to care more about my brother than exercise of my freedom. I have this freedom, but I'm going to care more about him. I'm going to lay down my rights, my every right, for the sake of my brothers. Do you guys get why this is such an awesome and beautiful thing to lay down your right for somebody? Because that is what Jesus did for us. He laid down his life for you. He laid down his right. Jesus had every right to say, no, I'm not going on that cross. There is no reason I have to go on the cross. I, I didn't sin. I didn't do anything wrong. These are the people that did wrong. Let them die for their sin. Aren't you glad that he did not have that kind of attitude? Instead he said, instead he said, I do not deserve death on the cross. I do not deserve to bear the penalty that they earn through their sinning. But I'll take it. I am going to lay down my right for them. And Paul talks about what it means to have Christian attitude. Philippians chapter 2 and 5. It says, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. God became a servant. God became a servant. Being born in likeness of man and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why? Because he chose to do it out of love. Why? Because he chose to lay down his right out of love. This is what Paul is asking of us. You have a wonderful and glorious freedom and right that God has given you. Now, are you willing to 
lay them down for your brothers and sisters. To build your brothers and sisters in Christ. When I was still in seminary, we had a communion before we took the finals. Communion before the final. We used actually, I mean, we used the actual wine that has alcohol uh, for the communion. And there was this one student, I'm not going to mention his name, but there, there, there was this one student who was a recovering alcoholic. He had a problem with alcohol when he was in college student. The student would not attend communion in fear of relapsing due to the wine used in the communion. And the chapel planning team find out about this and chose to use the grape juice instead of weird wine because they wanted the student to be able to attend because the student was a part of the community, the body of Jesus Christ. The whole student of Calvin Theological Seminary, they had a right to say no. We have to follow our tradition. Calvin Theological Seminary tradition. We only use the wine in the communion. No. They had a right to say this. But even though they had a right to say, no, we must use the real wine, they chose to lay down the whole student, the whole student, no matter they are, no matter they are MD student, MA student, THM student, PhD student, the whole student lay down their right for the sake of this one student. The body of Christ. That was beautiful. The chapel was beautiful. I thought a song I thought of a song called Surrender while um, I was meditating this, this particular chapter, um, Surrender by Lincoln Brewster. And before I close my message for today, let me read the words or lyrics of this song. I'm giving you my heart, and all this is within. I laid it all down for the sake of you, my King. I'm giving you my dreams, Lay down my rights, giving up my pride for the promise of new life. And I surrender all to you, all to you, Lord. And I surrender all to you, all to you, my King. Are you willing to lay down your rights for the sake of your brothers and sisters in Christ? To build them up. To build them up. Are you willing to lay them down for the sake of the name of God and his kingdom?